welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Vacaville, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We are so glad and honored that you would join us today, and we pray that this message you're listening to is a blessing to your day. We want to invite you to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service times. We hope to see you at a service or a special event sometime soon. Flat on our face, and, but he does. He's always faithful to do so. Enough of the preliminaries. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 26. Matthew 26. And I, I won't keep on your feet too much longer. Um, and uh, 26 and 6. Well, Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper. I have this in the NIV in front of me, but whatever you got. Uh, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. And aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, throughout the whole world, what she has done will be told in in memory of her. Amen. And that's where I would like to stop, but I just have to also read one more verse. This is the, is the pinnacle of where we're going to be today, but it's important to also read the next verse. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. Amen. I know, I know you've already been, um, but I like it when the pastor prays over the word of the Lord. Would you mind, pastor, if you prayed over the word of the Lord today? Amen. Let's lift our voices together. Father, we thank you for your great anointing for your great touch in this house this afternoon. Lord, I pray you would anoint the servant of God. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint his lips to preach the word. Anoint us not only to hear it, to receive it, to respond to it. And Lord, let your word go forth sharper than any two-edged sword and do the work which you have sent it to do and accomplish it to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And one more time, let's lift our hands and worship him. We love you, Jesus. We give you the honor. And you can be seated. For some folks, that is their favorite line of the sermon. You can be seated. Amen. They they feel more Holy Ghost at that moment than any other time in the service. (laughs) Uh, To to come right to the point today there are pinnacle times I don't know how it happens I don't know if it's sovereignly chosen by God uh, or if it is uh, because we have positioned ourselves or society has positioned itself but there are those moments of quantum shift moment where things in a nation in a people in a, uh, in a family and even in a person are about to take a shift, about to change drastically. 
this isn't always a good shift. There's the moment that that person first decides to use and a shift began in their life. Maybe there was even a catalyst behind that, before that, of some betrayal, some bad decision, something that happened that brought that decision on. It's very difficult to trace back from symptoms and, and decisions into the very core catalyst of why people do what they do. I like that word. I mean, you had the word, uh, you had the word insignificant, and I thought, I got word too. It's the word catalyst. It makes me sound intelligent. You mean, I had to, I knew what it meant, but I had to look it up just to make sure, because every once in a while, I, you know, I think I know what a word means, and then I start using it wrong, and because uh, I'm preaching this off, and then someone comes up to me, that ain't what that word means, and I'm like, you tell me before I preached the whole entire sermon on it. But, <laughs> of course, that someone is always my wife. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's much easier to receive a rebuke from her. But uh, tracing that out is, is difficult. Sometimes you can look and interesting things happen in society where a particular person is placed in a particular time in a situation. And that is going to be the catalyst that's going to change a nation. I couldn't help. And uh, forgive me for this example, but I couldn't help but think of uh, Gandhi and how that he decided to stand against the entire British Empire, and he liberated in a country of what now is a billion people. Uh, but he was influenced uh, uh, by a man in Ireland who who helped Ireland be liberated, and and and. After his influence, Martin Luther King would cite Gandhi's impact to know that there would be hope for reformation even in America. I mean, Rosa Parks didn't know that when she was going to make that decision, that apostolic church mother, Rosa Parks, that's the truth, was going to make that decision, and I'm not going to move to the back of the bus. Little did she know that a catalyst was going to occur that was going to shift an entire uh, civilization, and thank God for that. Amen. That something was going to happen. She didn't know. No one knew, understood how these things occur, but they do occur. There's times and there's seasons that things come together to make a change, and God prepares that to happen. And I, I, I brought us to this scripture because it was that. And I, um, I'm breaking all the uh, homiletical laws of how to preach and just getting right into this. But I, I want to I relay this story because in this story, we have one of the greatest shifts in all uh, that has ever occurred. What it had happened was that for centuries, the presence and power of God had been hidden behind a veil and was, in a sense, non-accessible. Although there was prophets and although things happened, and occasionally, count them on your hands, there was miracles. Occasional Elijah would come out and Elisha would come and you could count a few miracles. But for the most part, God stayed hidden behind the veil. And the average man could not have the presence of God. So Jesus steps on the scene. He was stepping on the scene to create the greatest shift that happened since the negative shift of the fall in the garden. Since the devil, amen, helped occasion that shift where man made the bad decision, amen, to allow sin into, into the world that he, now Jesus was stepping on the scene. And if in that 
Bible, within that Old Testament, there was all these wonderful promises. But if you, and we look at them now and, we, and they make sense to us, but almost in a day in which there was no gospel per se, in a day in which no one was walking around laying hands on the sick and they were covering, no one was casting out devils, nobody was preaching that you could be changed and del- Come on, somebody, y'all with me? I know it's hot, man. That you could be changing. You could walk in the door of the temple with all sorts of burdens and troubles. But then God was going to deliver you, free you. You were going to be a different. That's not what they preached. That was not going on. But yet you read the Old Testament, and I read the Old Testament, scriptures that we will preach today. Amen. That no weapon formed against you will prosper, and every tongue will rise against you in judgment. You'll condemn because it's the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And the righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. All that. And we go on with these Old Testament scriptures that, that they only could take in a literal sense. They could realize that, yes, their army was going to win the battle. But they weren't winning the battle. But in Isaiah, there was a scripture that laid on the scrolls. You know, they had to roll them up and write them by hand. And, and it was Isaiah chapter 61 is where we reference it. And when Jesus uh, stepped on the scene and preached his first sermon, he pulled out Isaiah 61. And I say that because Isaiah 61 was just one of those scriptures. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach some good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted or to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to, to open the eyes of the blind, to open the prison doors. He, he reads this scroll, sets it down, and everyone's looking at him. Say, yeah, you know, we've looked at that scripture, and we wonder why that's in there. Because there ain't nobody coming in with broken hearts and leaving with a healed heart. There's nobody coming in here blind and leaving, seeing there's nobody coming into our temples, our religion, our, our, our deal, and, and seeing this. It's just some Latin little unrealized promise on the page. That's why he stood back up and said, that's right. It has been laying on the page, but it's fixing to lift off the page and come walking down your street. It's fixing to not just be some sort of Latin little unrealized promise that is more of a discouragement because it's not yours, but it's fixing to come into your life. I'm going to literally heal the, the blinded eyes, but more beyond that, I mean, I've got the day of the Lord. Yeah, you guys are too easy to preach to. Amen. Amen. It's too easy to preach to. I, I, <laughs> I've struggled with the term revival as it is our term. It's not solely a biblical term, but biblical term. But uh, if I had to define it in my my foolish little makeshift way, I would say it's not something new. It's just these promises that are already in the book. I got enough of them. I don't have to get any new ones. I got promises the things he shall he did, I do also. Because and greater things shall you do because it goes away. What more could you have than that? What more can you have than the promise that the things that the great Savior did in all of his essence, you'd have that in your hand. So I but it's the idea of lifting that off the page and putting it in the pocket. It's a matter of lifting it off the page. So this is what he did. He said, This day, and we're gonna shift all of these things. This will not be some little uh high in the sky promise that but we're gonna look and he did this also in other ways do you know that the old testament you guys doing okay i'll keep with you if you say i'm doing okay then if you go like this i'll stop i 
I love this because there's a scripture in the, in the book of uh, Leviticus that says, oh, if a leper gets healed, you need to do X, Y, Z. Ain't no lepers getting healed. Even when God did heal a leper, he healed a heathen one. I mean, that scroll had never been taken out of his case. That thing was put in there thousands of years ago or whatever, a couple thousand years, and put away. And in one of these days, Jesus heals a leper and says, why don't you go tell him, priest, you walk in there. You're going to give him a big surprise because you're going to walk in there and say, can you pull out that scroll about once a leper gets healed? What the? That's way in the back, man. We're going to have to get that one out of the warehouse because that we have never opened that one up. And he's like, Jesus is giving a message. You're fixing to open a lot of promises up, amen, that you've never opened up. If things are beginning to shift. Things are beginning to change. Things that have just been a dream are going to become a reality. Amen. I'm letting you know this as a testimony unto them. Huh. You see that I... Now, if I just preached on that, we could have this shouting type thing, but uh, it's not where I feel like I'm going today. I, uh, I, uh, I'm going to relate this story to you. Those moments, those catalyst moments, I have wondered if it's all on God's timing or if it's mine. And I've kind of, uh, or if it's in my hand, if he's waiting on us or if we're waiting on him. And I realize that in some senses we do wait upon him for something to shift, there must be tragedy. There must be pain. There must be uh, opposition. My stories I cited of Rosa Parks and the story of Gandhi, uh, the liberation of Ireland, American civil rights movement, they all have a bad side of the story. Had there not been a famine in the land, the prodigal son would have never come to his senses. Amen. There must be an adverse situation, and that is in God's hand to create. He is there to create a famine in the land, situation that will awaken people. And, and, and I believe he does. And can I just pause without a lot of grandeur and just say, I think we all know that that's what's going on right now. It used to be that there was, there was a good bit of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and the American dream and we're just living in America and we're all Christians, we're all getting along and it's all good and everything. I ain't like that anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a famine of morality. There's a famine of, of good thing. There ain't no bread in the land. And so, and so the young man had to have that element in place uh, in order for him to come to an awakening. And I feel like God is placing his end of the deal for the shift. He is, he is placing a squeeze on a nation. And we are sometimes feeling it ourselves in a way that is uncomfortable. But don't, don't be discouraged because the light is not shining in America. Amen. Don't be discouraged because uh, things are so, so ugly out there. I don't like, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't like, the bad service at a restaurant. I don't like grumpy people. I don't like people honking at me when I'm driving. But, it, I, you know, I hate people jaywalking in front of me. And they just made jaywalking legal. Did you know that? I mean, they decided they just make it legal. I mean, they wanted more people to die, apparently. I don't know. I just I, I crossed the street the other day. I said, come on, son, let's jaywalk. It's legal now. <laughs> 
I, I, you know, I, I, I get frustrated by the fact that my world doesn't have the, the, the kindness it used to have when I, when I grew up just a few years ago, because, you know, I'm not very old at all, but I just, I, I just doesn't have that. But, but I don't want to be that frustration. I have to realize this is the famine that's going to awaken a multitude. This is a famine. I got, I'm not just backsliders, amen, but anybody who's ever been in the Father's house is going to say, hey, man, it's getting terrible out here. I got, I, I kind of got to find a place where there's some bread. So God sends famine. I understand that, and it was it's always that way. But there's another catalyst. And and God always allows us the dignity of causation. A great phrase. I borrowed that from C.S. Lewis, who borrowed it from someone else, and I can't remember who it was. But uh, the dignity to be able to be a part of his kingdom. And to be able to that he will not do, but that he does through us. I don't make sense to me either, but that's the way he designed it. He's, he designed it to be that way. That he lets you be a part of his kingdom. Make choices and things of that nature. And, uh, and so with that in mind, here we stand and God is preparing for harvest. He's preparing. He's, he's bringing that proper famine in the land. He's bringing the squeeze. He's bringing the pain. He's bringing the struggle. And uh, preparing our nation for, for what, what needs. But where's the other catalyst? So we make choices where we're going to, where, what, who we're going to be. And God, just as uh, he did to that prodigal son, he gave him his money. He said, yeah, I ain't going to stop you. You be what you need to be. And God lets you be whoever you want to be. Uh, but, but we need to be cautious uh, uh, where, well, who we choose to be in the story. I said to my kids driving, we drove last night for five hours. And uh, my older kids, and I said, what causes good decisions? What causes them? Where, what is the causation of, because of good desires? And one of my sons said, well, you've got to know. Because if you understand what's going on and see things clearly, you'll be more apt to make right decisions. I thought that was good. I mean, it's good that my kids are smarter than me. It's not a tall order, but... <laughs> Uh, one of my other kids said, you, you, it's not so much that, 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 that there's not good desires, it's just they get buried under stuff. They, they, you know, as a child, it's there, but somehow your noble desires are, 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 uh, are, are buried. No child starts out and wants to be the villain in the story. Well, some of them might, but, you know, they're just playing games. I, Matthew, in our story, I, I'm going to draw this story from the... Uh, from the context of the three or four accounts of the story. It's not clear exactly how it all went down, but this is the story I'm going to bring to you. And the reason I bring it to you, because this is the catalyst. This was the catalyst. Amen. Before there was the infilling of the Holy Ghost to shake the nations, there was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before there was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Before there was a G, uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there was a lady named Mary who prepared him for his burial. You don't know the, the significance of the things you do and what they will cause. The, in this story, you have Simon. Everyone say Simon. Simon. Amen. Oh, I guess participate well. My church doesn't participate well. Because I never say, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't do, do the turn to neighbor thing very much. So they're not used to, like, turning their neighbor and telling them they're ugly or whatever, you know. <laughs> you, know, you ever been in it? I was at a conference and me and a, me and a couple of preachers had a pool on how many turn your neighbors we get. Uh, and uh, I, I picked I pick 24 
right? One, Sean Mazzano had picked 20, and Gabriel Koch picked 30. No, he picked 27. It was, it was 30. Well, none of us won. It was 30, 30. So, everyone say Simon. Turn your, no, no. <laughs> Swear off that. <laughs> so Simon's in there. Simon is, and, and, and allow me the liberty to just, just give you this story the best I can. Simon is a leper. You don't go in the house of a leper. That's just the fact. So we can make an assumption that he is both a Pharisee and a leper who has been healed by Jesus. It's a fair assumption. I will give you that as an assumption because it doesn't actually say that. But he is called Simon the leper, and they are in his house. So we don't go to lepers' houses. I already mentioned that lepers aren't getting healed until Jesus comes around. So we're going to make the assumption that this is one of the lepers that Jesus healed, who happened to be a Pharisee, the religious uh, high, the religious hierarchy of the day. So that's whose house they were in. And also in the house, there was the 12 disciples. Everyone say 12 disciples. Amen. All 12 of them, Judas included. And we'll, but uh, of the 11, there was the, the, the 11 and Judas. And let's look at it that way. There was the 11 disciples. They come into the house for this feast. Jesus was invited. And then there was Judas. Everyone say Judas. But then there was an uninvited guest, and her name was Mary. And, uh, well, one account says such. And it's, I, I, I'm under the impression it was Mary Magdalene. Some think, you know, it might have been someone, but whatever. We're going to, for argument's sake, we're going to call it Mary Magdalene. Mary comes in there uninvited. Now, I don't like going to places I'm not invited. I don't even like going to places I'm half invited. You ever been half invited? You ever been standing with someone like, hey, bro, you want to come to my house? And you're like, oh, you can come too. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, man, I, dude, I got seven kids. I know what it is to not get invited. Like, hey, you guys, you come over. We got food. I'm like, not enough food for your family, though. <laughs> you not getting invited over. You got, you got the three-year-old. You got a one-year-old. You know, you're going to tear up my house. So <laughs> people are like, you come over. Are you sure about that? Because I got teenage boys. I got toddlers. You know, you come over. All right. If I'm really invited. But she wasn't invited. And yet there was a compunction in her that for the moment, this must be done. I'm going to tell you everything in her emotion is saying, don't go in that house. That's a Pharisee. He is not going to, she knew she's not dumb. He's not going to like you. And sure enough, when she comes in the door, he's like, who is this touching? If he was even a prophet, then he wouldn't even allow himself to be touched by this woman. He's shaming her. And then she takes the oil and she, she begins to anoint his head. And now the disciples start going, what is this woman? And yet through all of the things that had, had that were pressing against her and, and pushing against her, she carried on because she was focused on Jesus. Amen. She was able to take enough focus off the Pharisee religious spirit, take enough focus off of the these, these Latin disciples who were just kind of missing it at the time. Amen. They weren't wicked, but they were just weren't plugged in. Amen. And she was able to push. And I, I'm just going to preach here and tell you, if you're going to be a catalyst, if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to be the one to stand in the gap, there's going to be religious forces that condemn you and, and make fun of you and cast you down and reject you. But you're going to have to say, Jesus is worth it. This moment has so much value to it that I'm going to ignore these voices, these stares. 
You're also going to have to ignore the sleeping disciples, the people that are on the pew that just don't get it. They just don't care. They can't find a passion for the life of them. Amen. They sit on the pew, and we're so glad you're here. We're so glad that you pay your tithes. We're so glad that you're not out smoking pot. But can I say, you're just going to sit there and make no difference. What is all this worship about? What is all this food? What is all this prophecy about? Well, I mean, none of you are here, but it happens in my church. I got some people. They're great people. I love them to death. Amen. But they're missing the boat. And the spirit of worship that was in Mary was despised. It always is. The religious spirit will despise it, and the lukewarm will always despise it. So who are you in the story? That's the question. You know, do you know that I, I, I read the other day, everyone has the hero complex. When they read a story, they immediately put themselves in as the hero. But you're not just David. Sometimes you're Goliath. Oh, someone wrote it. You write it. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes I am the Pharisee. Sometimes I am, oftentimes I'm one of the disciples. They were leaning back, leaning back in life, just going, what are these crazy people doing, you know? And, and just not, not connecting to what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Not connecting that there's a, this is the moment. This is the catalyst. This is the time. This is the time of a quantum shift. This is the moment in which God is going to take all these promises that we have preached and preached and preached and preached. This is the time. This is the day. This is the hour that these things will not be on the page, but they're going to come to my life. The other guy was Judas, and he got offended just like the disciples did, but a little bit more. Do you know that in this house, everyone branched a different direction? Judas would walk away to the, to the chief priest. Disciples would wander. Amen. Simon would fade into oblivion. You'll never hear his name again. And Jesus would look at Mary and say this. Wherever this gospel is preached in any land, this story will be told. Huh. That's not a statement. I mean, now, I don't quite travel the world like yourself. Uh, appreciate the fact that you allow your pastor the freedom to minister outside of his church. Amen. Thank you for giving him that. Not pulling his coattail and letting him do that. It's a blessing. God blesses a church that gives in that sense. But, but I, I'll say that I, don't, I can't say every sermon I've ever heard that when the gospels preach, they told the story of Mary. I'm thinking, what's going on here? But there's something. He did not say that accidental. The word of the Lord is sure and true, and he said it for a reason. He said the gospel will never be preached, but that this will be preached. But you're wondering what that means, right? We'll come back Wednesday, I'll tell you. <laughs> But, uh, well, I mean, maybe. I, I, I might tell you. But this is not the only time that there's been an incredible shift. And I'm going to give you another picture. So you have, I gave you each character. And I want you to just sit there for a second and, and, and put yourself and say, who am I? Am I the one condemning people when they come in? Am I the one who's just disconnected? Am I the one that gets offended and, and, and goes off to betray? Which well, Who am I in this? Or am I the one that doesn't care what anyone thinks and then get into the feet of Jesus? We all like to think we're that one. 
I mean, if I, if I asked y'all to say which one you were, oh, man, I'm a Mary. Really, so I've been doing a lot of weeping lately. Been been weeping and fasting and praying. Oh, so you've been worshiping at a level that's embarrassing lately. Is that what it is? Your worship is like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you see that guy. Is that what's been going on? You've been people going, man, I, I mean, if no one ever gossips about your worship, you ain't doing it right. Yeah, that's, what, that's it. Every time God has set the stage for a catalyst, there must be, in a sense, a Mary. A Mary. Hey, I can't help but travel back just a little bit, if you, if you allow me the time, to another time in the Bible there was a whole lot of promises, and they weren't coming to pass. And he said, this nation is going to be the head and not the tail. They're going to blend and not borrow. They're going to be so blessed. They're going to bless coming in, bless going out, all this. And you know what was going on at the time? None of that. None of that. They were just a little slave nation. They are just a nation of, of oppressed people. And, uh, and, and here came this lady by the name of Hannah. And I'm jumping through this quickly without a lot of fanfare. And, and the thing is, is that, before there was Holy Ghost, there was a resurrection. And before there was uh, a resurrection, there was a crucifixion. And before there was a crucifixion, there had to be a Mary that said, "We're getting you." This had to happen for this to start this this chain reaction to begin. And before there was a David and a Solomon, amen, that was going to take that promise that Abraham had and make it a reality. Take the land that Abraham walked on that God said, I'm going to give you all this land. But they didn't have land at this time. And that, but David and Solomon were going to take those promises of Abraham and walk in them. But before there was a Solomon, before there was a David, there was a man by the name of Samuel. And Samuel was the man who was going to say, David, you're the king. And so this, so this cause and effect can be Trace back to Samuel's mama, Hannah. And the oddity of Hannah is she's insignificant in the scripture. It seems like she doesn't have anything, but this is the catalyst of that moment. Without Hannah or someone who had the spirit of Hannah, amen, that attitude, this mindset, there would have never been an anointing of David, and David would have never conquered the land. Amen. I appreciate the fact that, that you back your pastor, but he's not going to suddenly just become 10 times the preacher he is. He's already a great preacher. What do you expect him to do? Amen. What do you expect the music team to do? You expect that, them to just Suddenly, angels start joining the choir. I mean, what's your expectation? The catalyst is not going to be found in the eloquence of the preaching or the talents or the ability. The catalyst is found somewhere in an insignificant little corner with somebody who gets a hold of what I'm talking about today. Amen. That's why the weak things of the world confound the mighty things and the foolish things of the world confound the wise things. And the part of the body that seems just so insignificant is actually the most important. God needed Hannah. But the thing about Hannah is she had that stage set of failure. Not only is it the nation in famine, but it's the man. It wasn't just the nation in famine, but the prodigal son was, was getting ready to eat pig husks. And Hannah had a nation that did not have its promises. I mean, I, I love everything God's doing in our movement. But the kind of revival we preach... We're not really seeing yet in America. We have some growing churches, and it's good. I'm, like I said, I'm just grateful someone comes sober. They show up. They're sober. Man, this is a win. We got a win. You know, it's a win. I, 
I, I'm not complaining. I'm just talking the reality. We're talking about God moving sovereignly in such a way that the building's not even an issue. I mean, you have to have church 27 times or whatever. I mean, the, the harvest being so great. This is what our prophets have preached. This is what we preach. This is what we see in the word. This is what we call it. But it's not quite happening yet. But can I say, amen, it, 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 that, that, that they're coming, it's coming down the rope. I, I'm not going to be like that. I mean, I, the, the prodigal son is on their way home. The, the society is awakening. The famine is present. The situations are right. There's only one little catalyst that needs to occur. So she had failed to produce children. Now that might seem like it's no big deal to you, except that Deuteronomy chapter 7 said this. That same Deuteronomy that had all these other promises said, and there's going to be no barren women among you. Like, who's got a real Bible and who's sitting there? She's like, she's like um, God, we got a little discrepancy going on here. You said, but it's not happening. And, and you know what? She wasn't like, oh, well. That's all she did. And can I, can, there's something, and the reason I tell this story is because there's something that points to what this spirit of Mary is, what this broken spirit is, what this contrite, consecrated, sanctified, amen, spirit is. Amen. And she said, look, I am not good with unrealized promises. I am not good to lay down and die. I am not okay with being less than what God has called me to be. I'm not okay with my church, my kingdom, these things not being the light of the world like it's supposed to be. I'm going to get down here and pray till it looks like I'm drunk. And just like Mary was persecuted by that Pharisee, that that high, that priest looked down at her, slapped her. Amen. They some people say he slapped her or just or just looked at her and said, Why are you drunk, woman? I'm not drunk. This is what it's like when someone wants to see the change, when someone's willing to be a catalyst, it starts to take them over. You're not praying because they're making you pray, but you can't help it. Amen. You are drawn knowing that this will cause that, which will cause that. Amen. And the fire that will pour in this pulpit. Well, because of men and women that have found their way to brokenness on their faces. Hmm. Let's pause for a moment and reach out to the Lord. Hmm. I know they don't tell her story everywhere, but they sure exemplify her spirit everywhere. If the gospel's really being preached, people are humble. People are broken. People are weeping. People are at the feet of Jesus. He said, now, Acts 2.38 made me the message of the gospel, but Mary's worship is the spirit of the gospel. The gospel must come from humble people. You might stand up and teach your neighbors to be baptized in the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved the name of Jesus. But unless you have a broken and contrite spirit, unless you're in that place that you care and that you are broken, it's not going to do anything. But when it's broken, it's okay, it started. We can go now to the crucifixion. We go ahead, Judas, do your thing. We're ready now because Mary has found her brokenness. Go ahead, Judas, let's get this done. All right, disciples, let's prepare because there's coming a resurrection and there's coming an outpouring at Pentecost. 
Everywhere the gospel's preached, there's going to be a Mary going to stand in the gap to, to be the catalyst and the cause. We know her name. We don't know. I mean, we will know Frank Bartleman and some of the other ones. Amen. Before Azusa Street ever happened. Amen. Just pray all night and wait for the sins of Los Angeles. Come to find out there was other people that had spent the night long. And it said it seemed like an hour. Amen. But they just couldn't stop praying for their nation, for their country, for the state. Amen. And lo and behold, here comes Azusa Street. And we may never know the names of the catalysts. Amen. But God does. And that's that's what he's looking for here today. You get to decide who you get to be in Simon's house and what road you'll diverge. I'm glad the disciples can get on board later on, and many will get on board later on. But I'm looking for someone who wants to be catalyst. I'm not talking about rah, rah, rah. I'm talking about looking in the face of your failures and your struggles and your famine and just being broken. Being a hold of it. God releases the opportunity for you to be any one of these people that you want to be. It's more fun to be a Pharisee. And it's easy to just be one of the disconnected. But, oh, there's nothing like a person. Amen. That's saying, I'm going to see this. I'm going I'm to just, I, I, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. But, and Jesus said, there we go. That's, that, that's what's going to bring the gospel to the nations. That's when it gets preached, you're going to see somewhere there's been a Mary down there. Amen. She's really been praying. Why we stand today? What did Mary have that can make her such a hero? Failure. Reproach. Shame. Guess you can have it too. What did Hannah have? Persecution. Failure. And you can let your failure be the thing that keeps you bound. Or you can let your failure shift everything in your life. And when it shifts in you, it shifts in your family, shifts in others, and the fire begins to spread, shifts in the church, shifts in the city, and the harvest that has been awaiting, that the famine has has prepared. Hey, Amen. The harvest starts to arise, and no one even realizes and even knows that the fire behind the pastor's preaching and the prophetic anointing that comes when the preacher comes has little to do with all that's going on in the pulpit. And so much to do with people on their knees. People that cannot shake this until the promises are theirs. Until they are theirs. Amen. Personally, collectively. Until the, until the shift occurs. I tell my knees. First person to see the resurrected Christ. Who was it? First person that he said, yeah. Amen. Push the disciples aside. Whatever side. Where are you, Mary? You're the first person to see these promises rise in your life. You're the first person to see God take all these situations and raise them up because, not because of your talents, but because you decided to be the catalyst. You decided to have the spirit of Mary. Today, my Sunday, she. Today, Sunday. I'm going to let your pastor come and, and, and call this altar call here today.
I think we ought to make this whole house right now a place of prayer. Come on. Come on, a, a place of consecration right now. You can come to the altars or you can go to your knees where you are right now, but I think we need to lift every voice to heaven. Yes. Come on, God's looking for a Mary that's going to push just beyond that, that Pentecostal protocol that will lift their voice and just begin to pray in the presence of the Lord until you know you have made contact with Him. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.